Hey everybody, welcome to the newest installment of the Minorities Report. I am your head minority in charge, Gus. And as always, with me is my biracial consigliere, Jay. How's it going, everyone? And that's Jay Shell, remember? (laughs) Yes, Jay Shell. That was actually the name of two episodes back. I named it Jay Shell. I I, I noticed that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited today, guys, because this is an episode I've been wanting to do for a long time. I am the age range of our friends go from 18 to 80, blind, crippled, or crazy. Mm. I'm kidding. Some of them, well, a lot of them are crazy. But anyway, we don't know any blind people, though, do we? Um, <clears throat> Not since you're I got looking at one dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to welcome back Mr. Hand. He's going to be our boomer. This is going to be a generational talk. So we have everything from a boomer to a Gen Zer. So I'm excited about this because you're going to get a perspective from a lot of different generations. And of course, like I said, Mr. Hand is in the uh, studio with us again. Boom. The Quiet Storm. That was, a, that, was, <laughs> that, that was queer. Right? <laughs> I hope so. And also, back with us after a weeks away is Mame Jorge, the Mexican mariachi. <laughs> <laughs> the next Guillermo del Toro. The, the, uh, the young Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, the, the, the young Robert Rodriguez. And it's kind of funny because you're the one who pretty much introduced me to you, Robert Rodriguez, even though I've seen a couple of films before. Really? Yeah. I would have figured that you'd be familiar with him before. Well, well only from only with this Sin uh movies. Well, right. see, oh, not, not as early stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. Might, it, it might be like some people I know, they, yeah. they say, well, I know the movie, I just don't know the director. Right. Yeah. I'm like, bro, Robert Rodriguez, when mm. I saw El Mariachi for the first time, mm. and I found out the backstory, I read his book, it's called Rebel Without a Crew. Mm. He made that for $7,000, and he also made it with money that he earned being a lab rat. Yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Apparently, he was writing mind. the script of El Mariachi. Was, he, he was getting like his in the blood clinic. thrown out. Yeah. yeah. In the clinic. He was taking pills. They go, here, try this, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Homer Simpson. I'm like, yeah. hey, come the liquid. Bring right. the liquid. <laughs> So what we want to talk about today is we're going to talk about masculinity through the generations. And also we're going to cover, I know we've talked about it before, toxic masculinity, but everything from misogyny to stereotypes over the generations, it goes into a lot of what's going on today where it's projected to what makes a man. And I think it's gotten worse through the ages where it's like, oh, you got to do this to me. You got to hunt and kill your own food to be a man. Pretty much. It was, <laughs> they make it sound like it's a side quest. You have to do this, find this, and you have to find the Jade Falcon by midnight to be a man. Right. So all this hoop jumping for something that's pretty much um, a, more of like a state of mind or something that it's more to the um, eye of the beholder. Yep. You know? Well, we... we we have a lot of influences right now that are horrible, but we're going to get into that. But what I want to talk about with Mr. Hand was that of your generation, you came up during the summer of love, but you were young, right? Yeah, I was I was a preteen during the 60s. Um, so I was born in 60. So that was my my childhood. But. You know, it started back then, trust me. Right, but the free love generation, I think, lasted until like the mid-70s. I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. right. yeah. Mm-hmm. actually, um, it started to wane a little bit in 72 as um, we finally withdrew from the Vietnam War. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember I was on my way. I was in a bowling league at 12 years old. <laughs> my mother was driving me to bowling. We're listening to the radio and the latest report from Vietnam. And she turns off the radio and she says... You're going to Canada if that thing is still going when you're 18. Oh, she wants <laughs> so, you to dodge a draft. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, dude, you know yeah. who actually did that? Fun fact. Mm. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Well, it yeah. wasn't for him, though. It right. wasn't for him. He was too young. Mm. But his brother was old enough to go to Nam. So yeah. his father moved them all to Australia. So Mel Gibson mm. is actually American. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was he raised was, in he was, Australia. He was oh, born yeah. in New York. But yeah. he's yeah. Act, it's funny because now he's like the quintessential Australian, Australian actor. actor. Yeah. When you think Australian actor, you think him, Chris Hemsworth. Paul, uh, Heath Ledger, rest in peace. Margot Robbie. Paul, Margot Robbie. Paul Hogan. Paul Hogan, especially. He's yeah. a national treasure. Oh. <laughs> you call that a knife? You call that it's a knife? It's not a knife. Dude, that's, uh, you say that, that line, if anybody's ever watched a movie ever, they know what you're doing. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. They're obviously yeah. talking about Porky's. Oh, bro. <laughs> we're we're going to do an episode on being a cinephile, and of course, Jorge's yeah. got to be in for that. And oh, P- nice. I think Mr. Han is a bit of a cinephile, too. I think so. Yeah. Cinephile is not a perverse thing, by the way. It just People, means you really I mean, love it can movies. Unless you want it to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, listen, like if, I said, I don't kink don't. shame. <laughs> I, don't, I don't kink shame. Right. <laughs> so, but you also grew up like... With James Bond, and there was a yeah. lot of movies that were taught well, to be. And, and so here's a funny thing about James Bond. Right. So 
my mother was from Glasgow, Scotland. So I'm 50% Scotch, as I like to say. But, um, you know, we were... I'm 50% bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't drink anymore. Hey, that's neat. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because so, <laughs> the drink without yeah, ice is called me. Yeah, I yeah. see what you did there. Uh, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. You're saying so we were pretty much um, we were pretty much raised to worship the the James Bond um, archetype archetype. Yeah, yeah. and uh, when Sean Connery came to play it, I mean, my my mother, my grandparents, my Aunts and uncles all lost their damn minds because he was so, you know. But he mm-hmm. was considered for a while the ugly James Bond, wasn't he? Was he? Yes. I thought that'd be George Lazenby. What? Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> no, it was, it was Woody Allen. And uh. also, and also, whenever people say how handsome Roger Moore is, right. I'm like, what? Have See, you had your eyes checked lately? He, he he looks like a mannequin to me honestly and he's at, stiff yeah. yeah well even at the time of him being james bond he was way too old to be bond Absolutely. but also yeah. that his age along with like how um young his um co-stars were and everything really did come off creepy come off creepy yeah <laughs> which leads to our toxic masculinity yep um, well everything everything he did right uh, mm-hmm. everything connery did um in either in the role of james bond or, or off was was literally the the demonstration, the mm-hmm. like public demonstration, hands to the right, ta-da! Here it is. This per- is what this is a man's man. The perfect looks man. Like. Yeah. yeah. Well, you at, have you have to drink martinis and sleep with a dozen women. At, right. At the time, mm-hmm. it was a goal, and now it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't really great for the women. No, it <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> you know, no. So. In hindsight, if you look at, it, and then they gave them the fucking most perverted names to all the women. Oh yeah, Pussy Galore, Octopussy. Uh, well, that was Ian Fleming. So. Yeah. Kissy Suzuki, Kissy yeah. Suzuki. Yeah. But no, oh Zenya on the top. Yep. On the on top? top. On the top. <laughs> on the top. <laughs> but yeah, there were some trash ass names. Fook me and fook you. Oh, fucking <laughs> Chris, um, Austin Powers. Christmas Jones, and they gave her that name just so that he can throw in that I only I thought Christmas came once line. Wah, wah. Yeah, my God. that was douche chills. But going back 9, to this, going back to the seventies, you went from the sixties, which was like. Mm-hmm. It was, this, they call it the summer of love. I think that was what, 68, 69, they called it the summer of love? Yeah. Yeah. And then it went to the disco era, which I think was even more so, wasn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. It was more toxic. Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, John Travolta also, that, that's the really weird cause, thing. Because, I mean, I thought you were very much a Vinnie Barbarino character when I first <laughs> met Vinnie Barbarino. Hey, what forget is, about what, it. What, what is it? Like Johnny says, that's a deep cut. Right. I know, man. <laughs> Sorry. Ba, 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 does this make ba, ba, Washington? Okay, that's one of the one jokes I remember from Welcome Back, Cotter. Yeah. He goes, they call me Boom Boom Washington. He goes, why? Because you play the bass, he goes, "No, nah, man, no, no." He goes, "Why do they call you Boom Boom?" Because I go, "Boom, boom, boom, boom," and they go, "Oh, you play the bass?" He goes, "No, nah, man, I just go boom, boom, boom." <laughs> of course, they're gonna assume the, the brother plays the bass. <laughs> okay, token. You're right. Oh yeah, token. You're black. You can play bass. Oh, you're right. He goes, "Token, I need you to go in your basement and get your bass." He goes, "Why do you assume? Because I'm black. I have a bass." He goes, "Do you?" He goes, "God damn it." No, but going back to Mr. Hand, so. In so. the 70s, I think, wasn't it like the big introduction of cocaine that made a lot of that too? I guess. I mean, you know, it's funny. I never understood that drug at all. It was really expensive. It was very short-lived. And I'm just like, and it could kill you. Bro. And I'm just like, but yeah, uh, all over the place. And, um, you know, <clears throat> the the thing that I saw a lot of with that drug right. is, is a slight, possibly a different topic, but it was the predation of of people who aren't addicted to it on people who are. Yeah. So like the, you know, like the pressure. And, and I'm not talking about like people don't don't fill up the um, DMs or whatever with uh, oh cocaine isn't really addictive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about addict addiction to the lifestyle. Oh no, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you watch things like like, like Saturday Night Fever and yeah. Serpico and movies like that from the 70s, it was yeah. all about addiction. 
Yeah. You know, it was it was all about addiction and cops, being hooked on cops. Access. Cops paying cops off hookers yeah. as confidential informants using drugs. The bad lieutenant wasn't yeah. it like that? Right. Dog with, day afternoon. Dog day afternoon. The bad yeah. lieutenant with, uh, with Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel. Yeah. yeah. Man, he was a piece of shit in that movie. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh so he like was worse. He that, was worse than the taxi driver. That, that one line where he says to the hooker, like, "How be, show me how you suck a cock." Like well, that was. In, in Taxi Driver, he played a pimp, and he was pimping out 12-year-old Jodie Foster. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. That yeah. one, that is a hard movie to watch. That oh, is, it again, really yeah. is. It's a it, very it didn't, tough... And yeah. like they say, it didn't age well. No. No, no, no. no. But let me, uh, let me ask you. So but that means, but that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. Here. Mm-hmm. By the way, it, it didn't age well. That's literally it. Right. Like, we have become... And this, by the way, is a perfect segue from our last show about mm-hmm. being woke, because as we awoke as a society... Mm-hmm. Which you absolutely can't deny um you know masculinity became something very different like today being masculine is sure it's about all the testosterone related things but using them in a way that contributes to people's lives not destroys them i agree and and in Mm. the in the 70s there was a lot of that destructive stuff going on well they're honestly thinking back because i grew up in the 80s i'm a gen x i was born in 2000 i mean sorry 2000 (laughs) that's my line (laughs) 1973 yo that's a funny thing we have four different decades too because you were born in the 60s, me the 70s, you in the 80s, and him in the... Oh, no. We, we skipped the 90s. Fuck, yeah. the, 90s. Yeah. Fuck the 90s. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I love the 90s. So, But you came of age in the late 70s, so you were... As that disco era was dying, but you had shit like Son of Sam and things like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, really in... So I was in a rock band in seventy, starting in 75, and we were literally the active anti-disco movement you know we were trying to make rock and roll loud enough to to drown out the disco leonard skinner um we (laughs) you know what we played a lot of leonard skinner and and i remember um doing southern man a couple times at gigs and i said to the band you know i'm not singing that song anymore because i just after memorizing the lyrics but not really paying attention to them i paid attention to them it's a pretty pretty toxic song okay that's the big thing that we could do a whole episode on people misguiding well we also said we're going to do it with the the misinterpretation of lyrics like a lot of the songs that people sang and still do they don't realize what the fuck they're singing like recently there was a big russian like uh dance song that was big and if you translate the lyrics, it's the most toxic song you would ever fucking hear in your oh, entire yeah. life. Yeah. It talks about sexually assaulting women. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think that should be our next copy because music, that's a whole nother level. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to say that the same thing goes for movies. Like uh, just a moment ago, you guys were saying that Taxi Driver didn't age very well. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you guys are saying that only tells me that Taxi Driver, sure, it didn't age very well, but at the same time it did. Uh, by the fact that we're now we're able to look at that and we're able to, you know, actually say and look at how horrible those things are, and yeah. and, and that's the thing I think that's the I think that gets misinterpreted. Like for example, Martin Scorsese didn't make that movie in order to, you know, uh, idolize the taxi driver character in the movie. He actually did it as a as some sort of exploration of like you know uh, some of the most horrible things humanity has to offer and just the mental decline of a, of a person and i think that it's a, per, uh, a really important thing for us to do right now especially because you know just like you were saying you grew up in the 70s you grew up with movies like the godfather and oh uh, other gosh, other yeah. like uh uh goodfellas and something like that and, that, and you talk mm-hmm. about the godfather being a standard of masculinity yeah and you watch that movie and you're like there is nothing good about like the behavior in this movie is yeah. the acting amazing? Sure, but, yeah, absolutely. But there's nothing good about yeah. the behavior of men in this movie. No, and right. the and the women in that were made to be a prop. Yeah, because yeah. you had uh, Talia like Shire. Like a trophy. Was, Talia Shire was just a punching bag. Right. Yeah. Um. What's her? Um, Diane. Diana. Diane Keaton was just said. You know, when he said, "Don't ever ask me about my business, Kay." So she was just pushed aside. He like, might as well it, just say, "Shut up, bitch." Well, he he basically <laughs> was saying that. He was saying that in that very like you know very. I like to call it churched up matter. Yeah. Like stay in your lane. This doesn't concern you and everything. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, but I actually want to touch what Jorge said is mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, Martin Scorsese, like the taxi driver is seen as a cautionary tale. Right. Like there's nothing that should be um, idolized. idolized and everything. Travis uh, Bickle shouldn't be idolized. I, no. Everything. I, However, because. Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> but Thomas, uh, but. Toxic masculinity, right? The whole it's become the status quo, especially in the seventies, mm-hmm. has made it to where it's like, oh, 
that's okay. What he's doing, that's awesome. So the whole message, the whole like, avoid this, this is the dangers, right. gets lost. Well, it, exactly, because a lot of the Second Amendment nuts now will watch Taxi Driver and be like, yes! Oh, he was like, yeah, he was which, the, yeah. Which is funny, because that's not the statement that Martin Scorsese was trying yeah, to make. Right. It was yeah. actually yeah. quite the opposite. Exactly. It, was, right. it, was, it was like Jay said, it, it's supposed to be a cautionary tale, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, we're not exempt from that anymore. Do you know we have, mm -hmm. have an unchanged artifact from the 70s that literally has maintained, if not escalated, right. their degree of toxic masculinity since the day they came on the scene? Ted Nugent. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> I mean, do not, right? Do not. Bro, yeah. that, okay, there's so many people that idolize this guy. Okay, I worked security at the Celebrity Theater, and one time he was there. Yeah. And... He was playing, and people are like, there's these 50-year-old women showing him their titties and acting all fool. And I'm like, and then we were standing there, and I'm security by the stage, so my back is my back is towards him. I'm facing the crowd because we have to do crowd control. So I'm standing right up against the stage. And there was one of the one of the guys that was black, one of the other security guards to my left and to my right, and we're standing there, and he said some shit that was so bigoted and racist. All three of us just went, what? Turned around oh. and looked at him. We're like, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah. We all looked at each other and decided at that point, if the crowd rushed the stage, we were walking away. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, really. It'd be the best thing that ever happened to him. Except he probably keeps a compound bow behind the mic stand, you know? So, oh, dude. Oh, my God. Bro, um, they, they wanted me to work the dressing room. And I was like, you mean guard a pedophile? No, I'm good. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he... he the thinking back to the men that we quote unquote idolize, mm. R. Kelly is not a new thing. No, yeah, I mean, you, I love I love his music. Yeah. Elvis. Yeah, he was macking on fourteen year old Priscilla. Yeah. yeah, he didn't do nothing with her until right. she turned eighteen. But that's grooming. And uh, so and Elvis was a fucking well, groomer. And like, wait, we, wait, wait, yeah. wait. And we are expected to believe that he didn't do anything with her until well, she turned eighteen. Right. That's that's the, the story they're going with. The likelihood that that is true. Is approximately the same likelihood as I won Powerball well, last night. Well, Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis, he married his, what, 13-year-old cousin? Yeah. yeah. Fucking oh, 13 years old. One of the uh, Rolling Stones married a 16-year-old. The drummer. Wasn't yeah. it the drummer? Yeah, I think yeah, it was the I drummer. So. John, not John Bonham. No, Charlie. Uh, oh, no, no. Well, who, who's John Bonham? Was that Led Zeppelin? Yeah, Led Zeppelin's okay. drummer that died. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, fun fact, I've been listening to... Um, uh, the Led Zeppelin channel in my car uh, the last thought, couple of days I thought you, you were going to say you spent the night with John Bonham but anyway <laughs> <laughs> he was not that I can remember I, mean, I, mean, I, I think he I'm, was dead by the time I was 11 so well, well but go, let's go back to the 70s real quick Mr. Han now we talked about everything about the media but what about growing up like all the dudes that you were surrounded with because let me ask you, growing up like through elementary school and high school and all that, what was your, I guess, quote unquote, type? What, were, what would you fit into? Well, it, I'm so glad you asked because it's, it's such a weird thing. So I started riding motorcycles when I was 11. Right. And I was crazy about it. I had a new bike every couple of years. Well, like dirt bikes or street bikes? Started off with dirt bikes. And, okay. And all through high school, it was dirt bikes. Right. And actually, my first bike after school, when I, when I got my... So I started as a full-time professional programmer at 19 years old and like literally working out in industry. Check out the big brain on Brad. And, and by, <laughs> by the time I was 20, I was able to buy a brand new motorcycle cash. And so I bought a 1980 Honda uh, XL 500, wow. which is basically a one cylinder double overhead cam a thing called the Thumper, but today it'd be called the Adventure Sport Bike. But it was it was insanely fun, um, and that was my last dirt bike. But everything before that was just Honda and Suzuki dirt right. bikes. And then on top of that, for my senior year uh, graduation, my mother gave me her car because wow. she was done with it. It was a 1971 Pontiac Grand Prix J oh. with a 455. Wow. You want to talk about toxic masculinity <laughs> yeah. between cars and motorcycles? Yeah. You're doing yes. all the... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Add to that that I was really small and so I was picked on a lot. And my brother was, my brother was a town bully. Right. And, oh, shit. and in my junior year, he, during one of the times he was... Uh, beating my ass he told me you know you're gonna have to stick up for yourself at school next year because i'm not gonna be around so he was kind of like 
Teflon you. He was trying to make you invulnerable. In my mm-hmm. freshman year, uh-huh. some jerk like pushed me into my locker. And I turned around and I said, are, are you serious? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And the guy grabbed me by the shirt and, yeah. I, and was like pinning me up against my locker and like pushed my face to the side. And all of a sudden I hear this, wham, <laughs> let's go. And it's my brother jamming his face into the locker wow. next to me. <laughs> so your brother was that that archetype that goes, hey, nope. hey, I can pick I on can, my brother. I so, can beat the shit out of him, but you better not. So, so, so that was exactly it. So basically so. your brother was like a mix of Biff Tannen and Wayne from the like Wonder Years. I, I think he was closer, to, like almost identical to Biff. Oh wow! Like he he was he was super Biff. Make like anything. a tree. Oh, make like a tree and get and out of here. And by the way, my brother had a '69 Dodge Super B with a 383 Magnum, which was wow. so the two between the two of us, we had a couple of the fastest cars in town and a whole bunch of motorcycles and shit. So everybody assumed I was like my brother. Absolutely. Oh, and I was a rock singer. So, so, so people like girls come up to be backstage, and I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, honey, but I, I got a girlfriend." And so, your your brother, your brother was like the '70s archetype of the masculinity, yeah, and where you were the opposite, where yeah. you were the more sensitive one. Well, and I mean, I I knew I was not straight. Gotcha. And so, so yeah. on top of that, and and the other, th- so but the here's the here's the super toxic thing about that. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm not straight by the time I'm like 12. And I'm like, well, wait, the Republicans say that's not a thing. You yeah, can't right. know at that it age. Is, mm-hmm. It definitely isn't. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, crap. I see around me that I better not say anything, especially to my brother, who it'd just be another excuse for him to beat the gay out of me. Well, or dude, the, you lived through the, the era of, uh, what was it, Stonewall in, yeah, in the 70s. Absolutely. But yeah. you got to understand, I just lived in Connecticut. It wasn't that gotcha. far away. Yeah. And Stonewall didn't really get to us in high school surrounded by dudes who were trying to protect whatever identity they had that was not consistent with what was acceptable. So, so I put up that wall and I, but I dated girls. I was, I was serial monogamous all through high school with very few exceptions. Like I think, well, after high school, I, I wound up kind of opening things up a little mm-hmm. bit, but but mostly during high school, I only ever had one girl at a time, which was really weird for my bandmates because they're all like, "We are in a position of power here; we can do whatever we want." Yeah, mm-hmm. and people gave us drugs, and so uh, Billy from um, uh, Bill Nye's character in um, uh, Love Actually yes. says, uh-huh. "Listen, kids, don't." Do drugs <laughs> become Meanwhile, a pop star and they give you them for free <laughs> yeah it was yeah exactly oh you, don't buy drugs you know who has a story like that the sex pistols yeah, yeah. the only reason they became a band was to get laid yeah because they were all fugly yeah mm-hmm. they were yeah. Fucking i mean well, ugly. it's just like what eddie murphy said and uh i think it was a raw or all you need to do, do is sing, sing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because so, there was some ugly motherfuckers you yeah but no, oh. I was going to say, hold on, isn't that why we started the podcast? To begin with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, only Joe Rogan did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's helping. You were saying, Mr. Hand. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, so to, to end that whole scene and that whole era right. is that, yeah, the 70s were really tough. And to be someone who, who didn't identify at all. Right. That toxic masculinity, but to like a lot of the same things. And also you might recall, I was an archer. Yeah. So like, like I was really good archer and people would invite me hunting. So I was like, I'm not going to kill something. Are you nuts? <laughs> no. Right. I'm, they just naturally assume that you hunt. Because I was, you, yeah. I think I was 40, 41. Right. The first time I ever went on a hunt with someone. Yeah, and we we killed a deer, and I, it just sucked. Man. Yeah, I don't. I just hated it. I, I mean, don't think I could ever do that. Don't get me wrong; it yeah. tasted delicious. But <laughs> oh, I could eat the shit out of some venison. Yeah, yeah. but I won't go out and hunt. Right? No, yeah. it, it was it was so such a double edged sword. And I feel like if if we were in a position to have to do it to survive, right? Then I have that. Oh, absolutely. Skill. I yeah. have that skill, and I'm absolutely. grateful for that. But I I've never done it since, and I and I didn't do it before that. So so with all those things going on, oh, I also had a couple of guns right so so with all that going on i mean people just made assumptions about me that were completely wrong well and 
I, I wanted to give a disclaimer at the beginning. I'll probably record one. We're going to probably use some derogatory terms that are antiquated and shouldn't be used, and some people still use today. So I apologize in advance. We don't mean to offend anyone. And this is not what we believe. It's just, But the term that was, I remember back in the little bit of the 70s, I remember everybody, if you did anything that was effeminate, you were a faggot. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. It was, it was like yeah. extremely black and white. Uh, Which yeah. is hilarious to me because yeah. one of the biggest bands of the 70s were all gay. Yeah. The yeah. village people. They yeah. were all gay. Queen, and they did not hide um, it. What was it? Well, Queen, yeah. t- Freddie Mercury was, was bisexual. Right. But they were still that flamboyant glam rock. And that's a funny thing. Glam rock was oh, David so David Bowie. Pop- David Bowie. Glam rock was extremely popular. And, you know, their whole, like, pomp and all, yeah. everything they did now, was, like, so great. But then gay, like, the word, you know, gay David Johansson in the New York Dolls, right? Yeah. Right. We're still ostracized. Yeah. So, but going back in the 70s, was that, like, what were some of the terms? And I know you don't like using these, but just for the sake of the episode, what were a lot of the terms that were thrown at you? Because when they found out that you weren't like them. Oh, they didn't find out. Oh, you hit, you masked. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's successfully. But the people around me that got found out right. were ostracized violently, right. number one, and they were absolutely called faggots and whatever. Um, homo. Homo. And uh, a, a big one was like, um, there was some serious anti-lesbian shit going on and uh, the whole, you know, carpet munchers and <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, and the, and lesbo and whatever they um, they were unforgiving yeah. about that kind of thing and and it was just like what the fuck difference does yeah. it make to you and and so because I, it cuts their chances in half I masked <laughs> successfully right but for people I recently had a conversation online with uh, a neighbor of mine who mm-hmm. was who was gay right and he said you're the only person in the neighborhood who treated me like a human being. And I felt like I was one because of you are a fucking I've, human. I being. felt like I was one of your brothers. Yeah, and that meant so much to me because the my my whole neighborhood was a bunch of guys trying to prove their masculinity. We played touch football, mm-hmm. and they were throwing full body tackles. Wow! And I had this, you know, I have a a, a nose that bleeds like when the weather changes, so right. it's not a big deal. So this one kid <laughs> made my nose bleed, and. And he was like bragging about it. Yeah. So I tackled him. I held him down and I bled all over his face while I was going, you made my nose bleed. Are you proud of that? You know, just like (laughs) while I'm dripping blood on his face. Jesus. Unfortunately, I got his mom. That was in fifth grade. In sixth grade, I got his mom as my homeroom teacher. Yeah. That kind of sucked. (laughs) I can't imagine. uh, Well, with that, I wanted to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to take a time out. And when we come back, we're going to cover definitely Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z. Because so much has changed, but so much has stayed the same. And with that, we'll be right back. Hey, guys. This is Jesse from Make It a Combo. Thanks for listening to the Minorities Report. But don't forget to listen to our podcast make it a combo where we watch movies and have fun also make sure you check out am i slut hosted by andrea where she gets down to the nitty-gritty of people's sex life and we're back thank you guys for hanging out with us as we were saying we're talking about the generations we have three generations of men that have gone through different aspects now just a fair warning this is going to be a two-parter so the next episode you'll have to tune in so you can get the rest of the story but mr han before we went on break you were talking about a story you wanted to share with us yes so um so two things first of all just related to the 70s and last thing i'll say about it is i think one of the one of the things that um that you get uh the the landscape of an era's uh tolerance yeah is uh through their humor and even though, um, you know, George Carlin was, you know, super popular and, and, and basically, one, I think, one of the more enlightened voices of the time. He was around since the early 60s, wasn't he? Yeah. But it, you also lived through the time of Lenny Bruce, too. So We lived through the time of Lenny Bruce and uh, of Cheech and Chong. Right. Who I loved, but they were so very toxic on a lot of scales. I mean, they were, yeah. Because yeah. even watching their movies, yeah. uh, they were, yeah. women were very sexualized. Right, they were. They were odd, strictly objects in their movies. Yeah. But so, th- so through through the humor a lot, and you know, I think I remember my, I, I must have been like fourteen or something, and my dad told me this joke, and I'm like, what the fuck? It was um, what did one gay guy say to the other gay guy at the bar? Can I push in your stool? 
Wow. Yeah. Jesus right. <laughs> and I'm just like, Jesus, Dad, what the fuck, man? Well, and and number one, didn't. There's no way for me to tell him how offensive that was right. to me. Well, see, and my thing is because you were raised probably by what they call the silent generation. Yeah, very much. Yeah. yeah. And they were, I think, just as toxic as the boomer generation because they grew up where if you were gay, it was illegal to be gay. I mean, up until 1973, 70, so, so it was illegal. That, it was a, it was called it was a mental illness until yeah, the that's eight, right. until 1973 when the American Psychological Association mm-hmm. de- deemed it to not no no yeah. longer be. They took a, it they took it out of the DSM. Yeah. 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 So so he, my uncle was gay. My father's brother was gay. Mm-hmm. Here's how gay he was. How gay was he? He was <laughs> he was um uh Liza Minnelli's nanny. Huh, that's pretty gay. Wow. Yeah. So well, more gay would have so been. So you know husband. who her mother is. <laughs> no, you know who her mother is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. and and the earliest at the time, the earliest um sort of uh Well, for those who don't know who her mother is, it was Judy Garland. Julie Garland, right. Yeah. So um and for those who don't know, one of the earliest sort of code words for uh for homosexuality was a friend of Dorothy. I remember that. So I remember hearing uh, that. on top of that, yeah. my uncle is Judy Garland's assistant and winds up being Liza Minnelli and her brother's nanny for a couple mm. of years. That's so pretty gay. He was super gay. Now, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just picked a superhero. Where did, did, where did, he, where did he come? <laughs> where did he come by it? Mm. From possibly the most notable, ongoing, and worst and most violent scenes of toxic masculinity in the world, right. the Catholic Church. Because oh, my, yeah, my father and his brother were raised at St. John's Orphanage in Brooklyn right. during the Depression. Oh, so, okay. so they were given two choices. They could drop their pants and be the sex toy of the priest that wanted them. Yikes. Or they could refuse and have the shit kicked out of them and clean toilets for the rest of their life. Kind of like that movie, Jay. What's that one with... Uh... The, the they 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 steal the hot dog cart falls down the stairs. Oh, uh, sleepers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Sleeper. That's yeah. a dude. That's yeah. an intense movie. Yeah, talk about toxic masculinity. I'm saying, right. Oh like, my god. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll, I'll talk about that as well. well is that a surprise coming from Woody Allen? I don't no. Think so. Well, no. It wasn't sleepers. Wasn't Woody Allen? No. I no. Asked. It was. Um, what was it? I, Ivan Reitman? No, not Ivan Reitman. It was somebody. Yeah. But yeah, that was with Kevin Bacon and uh, I can't remember past Kevin Bacon. Oh, Sleepers. Sleepers. Yeah, no, it was Kevin Bacon. S. Ba- yeah. Yeah, Sleepers. Sleeper is a Woody Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's the one where he falls asleep and wakes up in the future. Yeah. And yeah. he's dressed like a robot for some reason. Right. But anyway, so, but also what I wanted to talk about to you in the 70s was there was a lot of, even though there were a lot of, I guess you can say gay icons, it was like, it was still... I don't know. It was kind of ambiguous in the seventies, wasn't it? Where yeah. you either, if you were in the inner cities, it was okay to be gay. You just couldn't say it, right? So it's really interesting. So I lived in the whitest white suburb of Connecticut. Oh you yeah, you lived in Connecticut. It was yeah. pretty much all white suburbs in like, the seventies. That was like well, professional I mean, white. Not <laughs> not true. Hartford, New Haven. Hartford has always been, but, but an inner city. Very very urban scene. Right. Lots of diversity. Lots of brown skin. Right. A lot of Puerto Ricans. So as we, a go, of fact, we, we go everywhere. That's right. The, the <laughs> very first people I learned to speak Spanish with were Puerto Rican who were kind enough to speak slowly. Really? So you knew, <laughs> you knew some non-Puerto Rican Puerto Ricans? Right. Because the one thing that people complain about is that we talk way too fast. No, I mean, mm-hmm. my, my friend is Cuban and his parents, after I greeted them in Spanish, yeah. uh, his parents asked if I was retarded. Wow. Jesus. Wow. And he was like, what? And that's so, another big thing from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Oh, big time, the R word. So... So this is funny. My friend Jesse is a software engineer for right. for IBM, and we would talk about software engineering. And I, he created this thing called the Universal Agent, which was the ability to sample information from a variety of different software packages and feed it back to a central monitoring system. And I used literally everything on every side of what he was doing. So right. I was giving him invaluable feedback to how he could write his software better. And we had these intense conversations. So Jesse turns to his parents and says, he's like a brilliant software developer. Are you kidding? Yeah. He doesn't speak Spanish well, so he speaks slowly. What the well, hell? Because the, when, when a uh, person of Caucasian persuasion, 
yeah. white people. Lear- <laughs> they, when, they speak, when they start to learn Spanish, it's very difficult for them to pick up the accent. I think it's because in English, there are no words that roll the R. So it's hard. It's yeah. difficult. I don't, I give, honestly, I give mad respect and credit to people who are white and never spoke a different language in their home to learn a language because it's difficult. See, I had the opportunity and Jorge, you did too, right? Yeah. Where our home spoke both. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah, and up until your teens, Jay, your family spoke both languages. Uh, actually, not not exactly true. So uh, when I was a kid, like when I was a child and everything, you know, we would, um, my siblings and I would visit my grandma mm-hmm. on my mom's side of the family, right? And my mom would uh, come um, with us, of course, and everything. And it was like entering a different world because my grandma mostly spoke Spanish. Right. My uncle, he spoke English, but he spoke Spanish. Same with my mother. Mm-hmm. And so, but when, they spoke Spanish to each other because that's what they felt more comfortable with. Exactly. Yeah. And so seeing my mom speak Spanish for the first time was like eye-opening. I was like, mom, I didn't know. I was like, <laughs> you really knows language. Well, <laughs> and it's also, I'm, a, I'm also a little kid. Yeah. I don't, I, uh, you know, I never understood Spanish. So I'm like, I don't know what they're talking so you, about. So you had a Scooby-Doo moment. Right. Well, it, it, you know, it's, it's funny having like a culture shock in your own family. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Because the, the thing is, my mom never spoke English ever in her whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I came up learning both and it was it's weird when i like people i can't grasp when people don't understand spanish yeah because it's like your brain automatically translates it yeah it's not a thing you have to think about when you does when you when you grow up speaking it right exactly so check this out i come home one day from work uh, we live, our first house in uh, in Phoenix around 2004 mm-hmm. was out on San Miguel and 42nd Avenue, mm-hmm. so way out west. And uh, I come home and the neighbor kid is standing outside his house and I said, you know, Hola Jaime, que te pasa hoy? And he's like, uh, yeah. Um, I don't speak Spanish. I'm good, but I don't really speak Spanish, man. <laughs> okay, was well, that's another topic I'd love to talk to. And Jorge, you have to come back for that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Is people who immigrate to this country that speak Spanish or even any other language, but mm-hmm. they want to gentrify their kids. Yeah. Not even just the area they live in. Yeah. They want to gentrify their kids because they want them to pass, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you ever experience that? No, I never experienced good, that. Good, because your parents immersed you in your culture, yeah. right? Yeah. So it turns out this kid's mom right. didn't, you know, wanted to make sure they knew Spanish and... Her mom and she spoke Spanish to the kids all the time, but their father right. was always saying, say it in English and say it like a Yankee. Be, you know, wow. it's like, <laughs> and it, that goes back to the toxic masculinity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my father was the worst at it. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, my thing is, especially the Latinos that give their kids very, very Caucasian names. I'm not one to say that, but technically I'm, I was born American. So, yeah. but when they, when you have people who immigrate first generation, their kids are named like, you know, Charles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, bro, you're Mexican. <laughs> he goes, yes, but my name is Charles. Carlos. Fuck around. <laughs> yeah. Prime example, yeah. Charlie Sheen. That His name is Carlos. Yeah. His right. real name is Carlos. Yeah. Carlos Estevez. Right. Oh, um, Martin I thought his Martin real Sheen. name was uh, Tiger Blood. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just what he has. Yeah. Uh, Martin Sheen. Um, I forgot what his... His uh, long is... He's got a fucking long name. Yeah, same. But yeah, Estevez. The, the only yeah. ones that kept their their name Emilio. are Emilio and their sister. Yeah. She well, goes by... Oh, and Martin Sheen's brother. Yeah. Who's also an actor. Right. But... So I so I want to go back. So I, I think I mentioned that I, I wore the mask for a long time. Right. Um, I got divorced from my first wife in uh, 91. Mm-hmm. And I was living in... Uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area at the time, and I thought, "Fuck it, I'm I'm coming out. I want to be who I." And am. how old were you? Thirty-one. So you realized that you weren't straight at twelve. You said yeah. right. Yeah. And then it took you almost twenty years to to be yourself. Right. And I came to that realization in Texas, which is really funny. <laughs> so, out of all the, out of all yeah. the places, Ironic. Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so I decided to go to um, an LGBTQ support group. Right. And uh, Wait, they have those in Texas? Yeah. <laughs> also, it's, like, it's like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. They're underground. You have to talk about it. You got to know the secret knock to get also, it. Also, <laughs> the secret password, yeah. No cowboy hats, no firearms. Uh, so anyway, I walk in and I sit down and there's a bunch of people and it's is my first introduction to polyamory as well. I didn't know about that. And um, Oh, we're going to do a whole show on that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. So anyway, um, 
we all write down there's this little like questionnaire to get to know each other we all write down what we want it's optional to put your sexual orientation and i decide you know at the time the language was by so i'm fine i right. put i put by on mine and i did it as like it feels so good to write that down right it felt good for exactly 10 seconds because when the guy to my right saw it he said, oh, for crying out loud, you're bi. Oh, big deal. Pick a fucking team. So this gay man right. is hitting me with toxic masculinity yeah. from the other side of the spectrum. There's a lot and of I'm that. I'm just like, it's all fucking around me. And you know what? I said, fuck it. And I didn't come out again until I was 55. And there's a lot of that in the LGBTQ. 55. Yeah. I've heard about a lot of that in the LGBTQ community, especially towards people who, like you said, were referred to as bi. Uh, they... The the lesbian women would tell women, no, you're not really, you're not really, you're not really uh, gay, you're not really gay. You just want to have a cool thing to say. I was like, and then the opposite with men. I've saw, I've seen that when women, and we talked about this, where women who are bisexual are fetishized. Yeah. You know, in in porn, in movies, everything. Everything. Like, yeah. they even they made a joke about it in Dodgeball. Yeah. And so then, but men, when they say I'm bisexual, they go, faggot. Mm-hmm. That you can't be bisexual. You can't be. You either one or the other. Again, it's you, the black you're and white either nature. Straight or you're a faggot. Yep. And, yeah. and that's exactly the way the seventies were. Yeah, exactly. That's oh, exactly so, so nothing has changed as far as that goes. Yeah. Uh, well, no. I mean, it depends on who you're hanging out with. Right. I mean, look, the people that I regularly socialize with, uh, they. Uh, so I came out on my. Um, on my Facebook timeline as mm-hmm. being in an open relationship because it's the right. closest thing to polyamory that I could find. And and for anybody in my generation, mm-hmm. it was easier to explain an open relationship to them than polyamory. Well, because you were in the swinging 70s. Right, would blow <laughs> their minds. Oh my gosh. The swinging 70s mm-hmm. where so, all, all rules were off. After the fact, the, I found... The key parties? A long time yeah. later, I found... The um, key parties. Pictures of friends of uh, my parents who turned out to be swingers. Of course. Yeah, dude, it was huge in the 70s. My it was huge. eyes! The term lounge lizard started in the 70s, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Lounge lizards were basically womanizers, I guess yeah. you could say. Like Larry from uh, Three's Company. Right. Talk about toxic masculinity. Oh, oh my God. I, I, you know, you mean the original quagmire? You were saying? Well, the... Um, so that, uh, you know, that having that from both sides over the course of um, 55 years or, or let's just pare it down. Let's say, let's say 33 years. Well, it, um, it, it goes to my, my 40, point, 43 years. It goes to my point that I always try to say is that men who are not straight and not gay are considered kind of, they, they, they almost like are disgusted by it because it's like, oh, ill, you like men too? It's like. Pro, yeah. right? You know, it's like, right. again, it's like that whole black I, and white nature, and that was like yeah, the problem yeah. with like our past generations. It was either one or the other. There was never a middle ground. There's, exactly. So, yeah. you, so, Mr. Han, what you're saying is that even within the LGBTQ plus community, there is toxic masculinity. There, there definitely is. So, so especially in in the polyamory community, like right. there's this there's this thing called the OPP, the One Penis Policy. Are you down with the OPP? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's funny that that is also a thing. So, um, so anyway, the one penis policy is typically laid down by men who will allow their wives to have as many female lovers as they want, but are their their wives or partners are not allowed to have any other male partners. See, I was and I, and mm-hmm. and listen, you haven't lived until you've heard a woman who's subject to this policy trying to defend it. And you're just like, so you're polyamorous. So he's polyamorous, but you're monogamous because your only partner is him. You know, and you're trying right. to you're trying to figure it out. Let's listen. Everybody can do what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the key. As long as you're honest about it, you're right. transparent about it, you can do whatever you want. Well, I have a similar story. I had a friend who uh, him and his wife were in the lifestyle. I knew him for about three years before I, I he they, he told me, and it was again, a toxic masculinity thing Mm -hmm. to show me a picture of his wife and two other women giving him head. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, yeah, that's fine. And then he shows me another picture of him with two women, but in the background, you can see his wife having two men. And I'm like, but here's this thing. He cheated, even though they were in the lifestyle, he cheated on his wife all the time. Yeah. And he wouldn't allow her to have a hall pass 
unless it was with the least attractive guy he knew. Oh like he oh would find God. the least attractive guy he knew is like, okay, or and and the smallest dick. That dude was trash. Oh man. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Jesus, he Christ. was he was very much so. Now, pretty, now here's yeah. the funny thing about that though. That's not what uh, most of the women I know. That's not what they're looking for right. anyway. I mean, penis size is is a novelty, but it's not the core. No, of exactly. What they're looking for and. They look in the orgasm, bro. <laughs> Yo, w- women are just like men in that aspect. Yes. They just look in the nut. Yes, yeah. that's true. But they're also looking for a level of emotional connection that men typically don't see. Right. See, like a lot of dudes, they get their, their sex advice from porn. Yeah. And they think but, that it's like you have to, you know, beat them with your penis. And yeah. it's like, no, that's not what women really. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some women that like that. Right. PSA yeah. for all the men listening, porn and rom-coms have nothing to teach you. Well, oh, see, rom-coms are the, I think <laughs> yeah. rom, we, Jay and I have talked yeah. about this before. Yeah. Rom-coms are the porn for women. Actually, yeah. yeah, there was this one movie called uh, Don John. Uh, with, oh, uh, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, yeah. Scarlett yes. Johansson. Is that the role he's a chronic masturbator? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, he, he's, <laughs> he's addicted uh, to porn. Right, right. Well, he's kind of like a throwback to like the 70s type of like, you know, tough guys and everything. Well, right. not tough guys, but like... The, <laughs> Jordan-Levitt tough guys. Right, right. right. I'm going to stop myself. He's kind of like... He was supposed to be like a young Tony Danza type, which was funny because Tony Danza plays his dad in the movie. Nah. But yeah, but he's like, you know, this like hyper masculine. I right. hook up all the time and everything. And he starts dating Scarlett Johansson's character. And so she uh, loves rom-coms, like mm-hmm. can't get enough of them. One scene, she catches him watching porn right. and she's disgusted by it. And long story short, they have a discussion and he's like, you're criticizing me, but you're no different with your rom-coms. And I'm watching that. And I'm like, holy shit. He's right. Yeah, yeah because yeah. rom-coms, what they do is they create this unrealistic... Sexual tension. It, well, right. that and yeah. also unrealistic uh, expectations Illusion. of men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And of women, for that matter. Oh, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. Of, and of women as well. And By the way, have you ever heard the original lyrics uh, to the Elton John song? Which song? Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, I wanted to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, this is Junior from Make It A Combo. Thanks for listening to the Minority Report. But don't forget to listen to our podcast, Make It A Combo, where we review movies, talk shit, and have a good time. And our other podcast, MIS Slut, hosted by Andrea, where she reads them sexy stories from her listeners. Hola, mi gente, and we're back. Thank you guys for sticking around with us. One thing I remember from the 70s, or I think it was the early 80s. I can't, no, it was the 70s. The show Taxi, I think, epitomized everything that we're trying to talk about. Because yeah. in that, you had characters who were the male archetype, like Tony Danza was a boxer. Right. Now that you mentioned him, that's why I thought yeah. about it. Right. Uh, Jeff, the dude that played Kaniki in, oh, in Greece. Oh, yeah, he was the pretty boy. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, the, he was the womanizer. Yeah. Yep. And then you had the over-sexualized horn dog trying to get women, who Danny DeVito. Right. Yeah. But then you and had... And then Judd Hirsch, right? Who was who a was, complete opposite. Right. He, he, he was, was the, the sensitive... A, you know, a sens- self-aware, self-aware. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the man who was like the poet kind of yeah, like yeah. if you watch bedazzled, he's the one that's like, Oh, Brendan Fraser sensitive. Exactly. Yeah. It, and that's the, that's the, he was that, pro, that archetype. Yeah. And then you had the feminist who is Elaine. Um, I can't remember. Elaine Boozler. Elaine Boozler. Elaine Boozler. No, 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 no. Wait, what it, her name it, was? it was, uh, well, her character name was Elaine, but Elaine. He, her, the actress was Mary Lou Henner. Mary oh, Lou that's Henner, right. Yeah. That's right. Sorry. Gorgeous. gorgeous. Dude, she's yeah. still gorgeous. OMG. Yeah. And another one that they had was kind of the opposite of that also, because in the seventies, I grew up on seventies TV. Yeah. You know, even though I grew up in the eighties, it was seventies TV. I remember some well, of the Anyway. They still, yeah. Yeah. WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. You had the same thing. You had uh, yeah. Les Nessman, right. who was the geek, but you had the Johnny Fever, who was the pothead. Yeah. Then you had uh, Tim Reed, I think it was. Oh, he was yeah. Venus Flytrap. He yeah. was the, he was he the, was he was the, the ladies' smooth, man. No, he was the smooth brother. He was supposed to be like uh, the, the Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Yeah. But then you had uh, the guy who was the programmer. I can't remember his name. The... I, I hate to say it, but he was kind of like the basic white dude from the seventies. Yeah, had kind of the bowl type haircut. Yeah, but then and then you had the girl who was the ultra feminist, uh, and they, Bailey. Bailey, and yeah. they thought she was a lesbian. Why? Because she was a positive, mm-hmm. strong woman with an opinion. That's the thing in the seventies. From what I remember, if there was a woman who had a strong opinion and stood up for herself, pff, dyke. Yeah, they right away. Right, you know. And the, then the guy who was the programmer, he was kind of, the, again, the Judd Hirsch type. Mm-hmm. He was a sensitive guy that wanted to get to know women, yeah. that wanted to be in a relationship. So it was kind of the dynamic of both. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the dominant side was always the, because you had a, 
uh, Burt Reynolds' ex-wife. Oh, uh, Lonnie Anderson. Lonnie Anderson, yeah. who was the, the 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 prototype of the dumb blonde, right. which was huge in the seventies. The yeah. dumb blonde. But, but but she flipped the script though because she was smart. She was sassy. She didn't take. But any But she crap. faked being. That right. showed you the toxic masculinity that there was. She wore right. a mask too. Yeah. yeah. She had yeah. to portray herself as the dumb ditzy blonde right. to try to get ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But segueing into the eighties, here we go. This is my forte. Here's the, here's the Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> but in the eighties, it was kind of an ambiguous time because it was funny because I grew up watching a lot of toxic shit, chips, even Dukes of Hazard for a little bit. Of, uh, because oh, good God, do you know how? Do you know what it's like to be in a black household trying to watch Dukes of Hazard? <laughs> because like, they oversexualize. There, there was. Oh, and you just is it for the Daisy Dukes? <laughs> well, they they oversexualized Daisy. Yeah. Right, and it was weird the dynamic between the cousins, and they never had. I think once or twice they had an outside girl that you know one of the dudes were like. Right. Flirting even even their relationship with uh, Daisy was uh, was like really like suspect. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> my thing, even as a kid, being self aware, and I love the show because of the car, the Charger, the General Lee. Yeah. And sitting there watching, I go, "How come they know black people?" <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason. Yeah. It's and, on. It's on. It's painted on that car. But and then <laughs> you had other shows like Happy Days, who was the archetype was. Of the cool dude uh, Fonzie, yeah. you know, that was a womanizer also. Yeah. So it was also a toxic you know, character. I feel mm-hmm. like uh, I feel like that show was an extension of Smokey and the Bandit. You know, it's just like oh no, it was. Yeah. It was. Like, it was like Smokey and the Bandit yeah. for slow people. Yeah. Right. It was like we have Smokey and the Bandit at home. <laughs> <laughs> the Wish.com Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> dude, recently somebody said that they should reboot Smokey and the Bandit, but have uh, Pedro Pascal play the right. oh, the Bandit. Right. I'd watch it. Yeah, I'd watch that. Still yeah, have yeah. the the still have the Trans Am. It's got to no. be the seventies Trans Am. No, 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 no. Gotta be. No, it it doesn't have to be. It has. <laughs> it ha- actually it has to be here. All right, one of two things: either a Camaro SS2, which is a badass vehicle, right? Uh, Six point two liter V eight supercharged, absolutely badass. Or there's a company in Alabama called Trans Am Depot, and they will take your. 2010 to 2022 right. stock Camaro and they will put a 700 horsepower motor in it and put ground effects that make it look either like a Trans Am or a 60s GTO. Mm. And it, they should have one of those in it. See, when Mr. Han talks about cars, it's kind of like, I feel like the dude from, uh, what is it, uh, Spinal Tap? Yeah. He says all that tech stuff. I go, it's, it's blue. <laughs> it goes way. to it goes to eleven. <laughs> all of the all of the dials in my car go to eleven. Yeah, I so. don't know anything about cars either. I, 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 I quote unquote I pop the hood and I, I I I can only tell that the engine is made out of engine. Well, which is <laughs> which which is funny because if it's any car pre nineteen ninety five, I can fix it. Right. I don't know anything about. I mean, I don't know what type of car it is, but mm-hmm. I, if it's a combustible engine with a carburetor, I can yeah. fix it. I mm. changed the starter out in my seventy one Grand Prix in the driveway in Connecticut in February without a mechanic creeper. I was lying on a bath towel. February is about zero degrees in Connecticut. Right, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Just for I, point of reference, I literally would turn a bolt like 15 times yeah. and then run in the house, warm my hands and come back out again. The product of myself was that I had a 2002 Mustang and I had to change the serpentine belt by myself. Wow. So yeah. And for people who don't know, the serpentine belt is the little belt in the front and it, it zigzags through the motor. So there is a gear at the bottom that you have to pull and it's got so much tension that you, it's almost impossible to hold it yourself. And I want to point out at that time, None of the DIY videos on YouTube were available. No, no. so go, going back to the 80s, I grew up in the inner city. I completely grew up opposite of you. Uh, there were gay guys in the, in the neighborhood, but again, they were ostracized and made fun of. Yeah. And it was the over flamboyant gay. You know, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but the ultra feminine, like almost borderline, all right, calm yourself down kind of gay. Uh, and people would make fun of them. Now, growing up in the inner city and growing up Latino, that's two strikes against you as far as toxic masculinity. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. Because in the Latin community, it, you can't really, you can be openly feminine, but even if you're heterosexual, they're going to call you gay. They're going to call you faggot, maricon. Mm-hmm. That's the one. If you ever hear anybody call you maricon, they're calling you a faggot. That's a bad, or uh, 
mariposas. Too, Mar- right? Well, mariposas well, is more like Mexicans Mexican, use that. Yeah. Well, is it, yeah. is it or or, or uh, the big one in the Mexican community is joto. Well, isn't maricón yeah. like another word for like a cuckold or something like no, that? No, no, mari- no, that's cabrón. Cabrón, Cabrón. No, cuernú. Cuernú means horned one. Right. So like cuernú or horns. So mm-hmm. when you're, they, they, they say, te están pegando los cuernos, mm-hmm. they're sticking the horns to you. Mm-hmm. It means that there's a bull fucking your woman and yeah. you know about it. The only way you can be a cabrón is if you know got another guy's fucking your wife and you don't say nothing about it. I thought gachas mm-hmm. were. That's were Mexican, bro. That's, no, that's you know, more... I learned that from somebody from, uh, um, where is it? Nicaragua, I think. Oh, well, no, see, Puerto Ricans call it uh, un cuernu. Okay. Because it, yeah, it just means you're getting the horns put to you. Yeah. So there's a bull sticking the horns mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that about cabrón. That it means that you know that somebody else is fucking your wife, but you yeah. don't say yeah. anything. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, cabrón. Yeah. And so anyway, getting back to what I was saying in the '80s. So growing up in the inner city in New York, even after the '70s and Stonewall and all that, it was so toxic. Yeah. I I was telling Jay I have an insider's perspective also because I didn't grow up your your gearhead. I didn't grow up uh, as far as anything really feminine. I grew up in a. I grew up and I was uh, an athlete. I played high school sports, played little league, all that. I was a professional wrestler for a while, so I know all of the inside toxic. Man, I was even a motorcycle club, like in a motorcycle club. So being on the inside, he's not a gang. He's a club. No, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was no. It was a true MC. I wasn't a one percenter. Uh, and one percent in the motorcycle community is the people who are like Sonny Barger, mm-hmm. because they say that the saying goes that ninety nine percent of motorcyclists are honest, uh, are honest citizens and are not criminals, and they wear it as a badge of honor being the other one percent. So yeah. Anyway, so going back to the eighties, I grew up in a time where you had guys like Flock of Seagulls on the radio right and they were the most effeminate looking dudes ever a lot of the musicians did you know with the era of mtv Mm -hmm. and you could actually see people now they had to be pretty oh and then like you pretty much were at the epicenter of glam rock and everything well not not glam rock i'm sorry uh more like uh well yeah heavy metal i just want to say like the best 80s moment didn't Mm -hmm. come in the 80s it came later but Rob Halford came out as yeah. gay. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, yes! When Rob Halford came out as, as gay, I looked at it and went, okay, water's wet. Fucks yeah, the news. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in Tucson. Bro right. like to wear tight leather and bondage outfits on stage. Yeah. That doesn't scream yeah. heterosexual to me. <laughs> See, and that's always been like the irony of how like um, that's why how, was... yeah, how gay people were like ostracized yeah. even by straight people, and yet straight people would like worship like these glam rockers, well, these one of these flamboyant types. It's kind of like when Flash Thompson would pick on Peter Parker, right. And yet he's a Spider-Man fanboy. Well, the thing is yeah. that that in the eighties it was a, it was a derogatory. Well, not derogatory, but it was stereotype of gay men to wear leather like going to police academy the blue oyster cult oh, oh the blue oyster uh, club or a uh, cruising with al pacino cruising yeah. everybody yeah. had to wear tight leather and yeah. you know look gay mm-hmm. or not look gay because you can't really look gay mm-hmm. but there was no uh even on barney miller there mm-hmm. was a gay couple but they were flamboyant they were mm-hmm. businessmen they wore suits and all that but they came in oh god mm-hmm. you know they were like the what's his name that he was an he was a 60s, 70s comedian. Uh, God, what's his name? Charles Nelson Riley. Really? Oh, my or, God. Or, uh, or uh, Paul Lynn. Uh, so, oh, Samantha. So, so Charles, <laughs> Charles Nelson Riley, like, I must have heard a hundred times on talk shows and whatever that he was, quote, unquote, a confirmed bachelor. That was the code. And I'm going, gay. Yeah. <laughs> well, gay. Yeah. Well, that, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Gay. <laughs> <laughs> so in the 80s, though, uh, what happened was the AIDS epidemic started. Yeah. You know, and that brought a lot of men who were Ugh. in the closet out that Rock Hudson. Yeah. Rock Hudson, who was thought to be the ladies' man, he. It turns out he was gay. Cesar Romero, Mm -hmm. the Joker, was gay. I didn't find that out until recently. And he used to pay women to hang out with him so he would look like the ladies' man. His beards. Yeah, exactly. So so in the 80s, so in uh, 83, Uh I packed up everything in Connecticut. I moved to L.A. because I wanted to be in a rock band and I knew like... 
if I was going to find a rock band, you got to play the Roxy. It's mm-hmm. it's got to be in LA. Well, at the time, the Whiskey a Go Go. Oh, the Whiskey a Go. Well, yeah. it's still a thing. Yeah. But in the New York, it was CBGB. But that was more yeah. for punk rock. Mm-hmm. So um, so I move out to LA, and uh, I expect that the scene there is going to be different. But I wasn't really prepared for how different it was. <laughs> so you went from one extreme to the other. Because in in Connecticut in '83. Um, you could be gay, but you better have a whole community of people to, to at your back because otherwise you were really in for it. And in L.A., you could just kind of do whatever you wanted. Right. And I met this, I met this guy at, um, at a cafe where I was having lunch with my mother. And he was hitting on me brutally and I, in front of my mother, who was oblivious. So right. that, that worked out. And later, you know... I, I wanted to be friends with him and see what was up. And um, so I was friends with him for a little while. And one night he decided he was going to spend the night. We decided he was going to spend the night at my apartment. <laughs> and I said, look, you know, here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not interested in you romantically. Right. So, so I just needed to be respectful of that boundary. And he absolutely was not. And I wound up kicking him out at like uh, two o'clock in the morning. But... The next day, I had my um, checkup f- uh, six weeks after getting my wisdom teeth removed, right. and I, may- I had to go in to see my dentist, my oral surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I went in, and, and, and um, they said, go ahead and, and uh, sit in this room. And this oral surgeon's office was really cool. Like, everybody wore gloves. Everybody wore face shields and masks. Right. Like, if you were past the reception area... All the medical personnel were masked and shielded. Mm-hmm. So I went into the office, sat down, and the dental assistant and comes out and looks at my mouth. She said, wow, you're, you're looking great. You're healed up pretty great. I would say, you know, if you don't have any pain or any bleeding or anything, you know, just continue. Be a little careful about the foods you eat for the next little while, and you're good to go. And I said, well, am I going to see Dr. Green? And she goes, I'm sorry. Uh, Dr. Green passed away. Oh, damn. So I call my friend Bob. So my friend Bob is uh, is a physician, and right. he's the guy who recommended Dr. Green. It was really nice to have Bob in L.A. before me because I could I could ask him for medical referrals, and he knew everybody. Mm-hmm. So I could ask him for any kind of referral, and he knew everybody. So I, I, I called him, and I said, um, Dr. Green is dead. And he said, yeah, I know. I went to the funeral. And I'm going like, you didn't think to tell me? The guy was literally up to <laughs> yeah. his elbows in my mouth yanking out my wisdom teeth. Right. And it was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, surgical situation. He's, you're good. I'm sure you didn't catch AIDS from him. Wow. I said, what? Yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, he died of AIDS. And when the AIDS epidemic first hit the scene, a lot of people didn't know how you could catch it. So yeah. it was the the gay community was then again ostracized once again, mm-hmm. hardcore. Oh, because, yeah. because the promiscuity, it was a stereotype amongst gay men. Well, and it, uh, again, unfortunately, because it was undercover and you really couldn't, a lot of them weren't monogamous yeah. and it was passed from person to person. Mm-hmm. But people didn't realize that it was by sexual contact or intravenous drug use. Mm-hmm. So there had to be bodily fluids exchanged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people didn't know that. They wouldn't want to hug somebody mm-hmm. they wouldn't want to kiss somebody you know, on the cheek yeah. i mean I remember, yeah but, yeah i remember when uh, the movie philadelphia tapped in on right. that and everything yeah. yeah yeah and that was this that was the uh, that was such a brilliant movie so, oh my goodness going back to growing up in the 80s it was a toxic time um i had a group of friends and yeah if you showed any effeminate traits they would bully each other they would bully the small guy mm-hmm. uh again using the terms faggot homo pillow biter mm-hmm. fudge packer Mm-hmm. Uh, and I honestly, as a kid, never felt like I never, I never was prejudiced against any one type of person. And I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody, but I stood up to my own friends as bullies and had actual fist fights with them mm-hmm. when they were being toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared a story with Jay yesterday where there was a young girl in my junior high school that I was head over heels for. She was beautiful. But being the quiet, shy kid, shy kid that I was, and I know people now that see me and hear me mm-hmm. don't think I ever was, but I was. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I was like the wallflower. I didn't dare talk to her. But I had a friend who was super over the tox, over the top toxic. His name was Pablo. 
and I'm gonna name names. I don't give a fuck. No, if he I ever hope, hears that dude, he's an he, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he he uh, he thought he was the ladies' man. Mm. He looked like a foot. And anyway, <laughs> isn't that usually the the, the norm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looked so, like a foot. <laughs> which is funny because he dated this girl uh, that was. He, he, the other friends of theirs introduced them because she said, oh, who's that cute Puerto Rican guy over there? Because there, And there was a bunch of us there and they thought they meant him. And so they introduced him and she ended up dating him for some reason. And then it turns out she was me she was looking at. I was called, I was the cute kid. Mm-hmm. I looked like, you know who they told me I looked like as a kid was, uh, you remember the uh, Little House on the Prairie? Scott Bale. No, no. Wow, you, are you trying to insult him? Wow, well, <laughs> fucking Chachi. No, you, uh, the little brother from Little House on the Prairie. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, and I did. I was pale, had dark hair, you know, and pouty lips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was cute. Anyway, <laughs> so long story short, he was the toxic guy. So he goes up to this girl in junior high and throws her skirt up, and everybody sees her underwear. And she was mortified. She started crying. So I walk up to him, and even though I was quiet and shy to girls, mm-hmm. I would fucking punch you in the face if I had to. Mm-hmm. So I pushed them, knocked them down, and I was like, yo, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? And this was one of my best friends. We had a group of four friends that were inseparable. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what, man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, don't fucking do that. You know? And we ended up not speaking for a few weeks because I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't deal with that. I, was, I grew up with a single mother and three sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no... <laughs> I was the only testosterone in the house. Mm-hmm. And we grew, yeah, growing up like that, you don't, you don't see that. And the only masculinity, in, it was toxic that I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was not a nice man. You know, he was an alcoholic. And he didn't live with us. I would never lived a day with my father from the day I was born. But he would come by once in a while to put my mom, quote unquote, in her place, make sure she knew. My mother never had a healthy relationship after that or ever because of the fact that she was terrified of my father. Yeah. She was absolutely terrified. And that's the only example I ever saw. Mm-hmm. You know, and I something inside me told me I have to be the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I can't. Because ninety percent of the time I was only around women mm-hmm. you know not that my sisters were the most sensitive women because I had a sister that would punch you in the face as soon as talk to you mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway <laughs> oh no I'm serious <laughs> and a lot of people thought she was gay because she, she was the, she was tough she took care of herself yeah and she uh, yeah and she had the Pat Benatar haircut in the uh, 80s hey, uh, she, I, that's, she, a, that's a cute look though she wore rings on all her fingers there were a ton of Girl gangs in New York in the 80s. Oh, there was. My, my cousin, I'm thinking about the Lizzie from the Warriors now. <laughs> yeah, 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 my sister, uh, my cousin, was uh, a member of one of those gangs, and she was she was the toughest around. Yeah. And my my cousins. Uh, oh, by the way, my cousins who grew up in Queens and moved to Long Island, but right. um, when I I I was dating this woman who had been in a relationship with another woman. Right. And I'm I. I met my cousin for the first time in like '93. I was I was going to a uh, tech seminar or a tech conference at the Javits, mm-hmm. and he worked at the um, TGI Fridays right near the Javits. So right. I walked down there and and surprised him at work. I hadn't seen him in ten years, um, and I told him I was dating this woman. He's oh, don't be talking about no Jasper. <laughs> I'm like what the. F- <laughs> 1920s called they want their terminology Jesus man. Christ they're like 23 skidoo yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> they're rabble rousers those sky they skylarking about and with that guys I want to say thank you very much and we will see ya You've just listened to the Minorities Report from Make It a Combo Productions. Executive produced by Jesse and Junior. Check them out on all platforms. And don't forget to follow our other podcasts, Am I a Slut? and Make It a Combo. Thank you and goodbye.